Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM on a Sunday morning. Lovely to have you with me on this beautiful, clear blue sky, sunny day. Um, What have we got in the show today? Let's just do a very quick recap of what the show is about. It is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences their choices and consequences and regardless of age their innate wisdom by discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable loving and heartfelt way to be with each other thereby improving our physical and our mental health This week's show on Stay in the Loop with Lucy is part of a series on lying I'm quite excited about this series because the more I look into it, the more I'm learning about myself, uh, the more I'm learning uh, how endemic it is in our society. In my um, show outline of of why I really came up with uh, wanting to do this kind of a show, um, as as in Stay in the Loop with Lucy, the interview shows, and really talking to all the different people that I do about the experiences in their lives and tackling the subjects that I tackle. It really was founded on the principle of the Emperor's New Clothes. And I'm going to do a whole show on that in itself because I think that it is the um, ultimate, in a way, of an example of where we lie and we've been lied to and we've done it to save face. So more of that in another show. But essentially, I want to unpick what we've taken as normal and re-question everything. Does that mean that somewhere along the line um, I am aware that I've been lied to in an attempt not to stand out, that we've accepted perhaps the abnormal as normal? Uh, You know, I think it does. And the more I do um, open myself up to that possibility, the more I realise we might well be saying yes to things that we don't truly want to. We've, we might have, you know, how big is this lie? Have we bought into uh, a monstrously big lie as we have in history and colluded with it for many years? And a fantastic example of that was when we were told the world was flat. And in fact, people were put to death for saying otherwise. And other, another easy one is the belief that the universe revolved around the Earth. Quite laughable now, aren't they? They're both laughable because... Someone somewhere stood up and said, you know what, I think we've got this wrong. I think we need to contemplate something different. They stood against some very powerful forces, whether they be the church, the ruling party, uh, whether they be the people for fear of what that might mean. But stand they did. And thankfully today, we know that we revolve around the sun and that the world is round. Bizarre to think that we ever thought otherwise. Were we lied to? Was it, you know, was it a way of controlling the masses? Are we afraid of the truth? Is there anything to be afraid of when we see what the truth of it was? Why were we afraid that the world was round? Why were we afraid that we revolved around the sun? Do, I ask, we believe that we need to be the centre of all things and I do think that that's a human trait that uh, it starts in childhood and, and you know, we, we kind of need to maybe ask ourselves the same question again. Do we, do we still want things to revolve around us? And are we afraid of things that we don't see, that we don't understand? And is that why we shut people down who question what we've taken as normal? When someone stands out and says something people are uncomfortable with, they're very often shouted down or shut down. Um, it doesn't really take long for the truth to fight its way to the surface, and time usually is the one that that uh, that makes that happen. So when when we um, when some someone can create an illusion around their lives, but over time it unravels because. You cannot keep everybody silent forever and your body very often will be the thing that actually uh, reflects the truth or, or brings the truth up in uh, its surfaces. It always comes up. Unfortunately, a lie, 
I think Shakespeare said this. A lot, uh, no, it wasn't Shakespeare. It was Churchill. A lie gets halfway round the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. I really like that quote. Really like it. And it makes us really think, doesn't it? How responsible are we, particularly with social media and how fast things can get around? How quickly do we repeat a truth or a half-truth or not actually call out a lie so that it actually does get half halfway around the world? Corporate, political, financial and religious corruption seem to be everywhere. They're the pillars of society um, and have been shaken and fallen because we've fallen for this illusion and not been discerning about what is actually going on till the whistleblower decides to speak up. If they can withstand the barrage of attacks or attempts on their life, the truth would again find its way to the surface. It's, it just sounds like something out of the movies, doesn't it? And in fact, you know, movies have been made over and over again to show the strength of those who stand up against a lie. So we clearly, we clearly do champion the, the whistleblower, the person who is prepared to stand out and speak up. Um, Alan Parker did loads of movies about that. Mississippi Burning was the one that really stuck with me because I um, studied it when I was at uni as an undergrad um, about, the, about um, the KKK. Spotlight, the recent one on the abuse of the Catholic Church. Enron about corporate corruption. All the President's Men and about the Watergate debacle. I mean, the list goes on. So where does it start? Are we born liars waiting to take advantage of us for our own gain? So, let, well, let's take a moment to consider why we do lie. We lie to avoid punishment, which often starts with a wrongdoing. Um, we lie to gain advantage. We lie to protect ourselves against unwanted consequences, such as not disappointing our parents. We lie to boost self-esteem. We lie to demonstrate power. We lie to maintain privacy. We lie to, main, to, to protect a friend. I'll chip in um, in between the interviews that I'm going to have to maybe illustrate some of those points. It seems to be part of our makeup as we grow up and is a learnt skill around the age of three, I'm gathering, between two and four. It's where a child starts to recognise the difference between the parents' thinking and their own thinking. They've delineated boundaries of thoughts, emotions and decisions. It seems to be one of the skills we champion and is considered a sign of intelligence and cognitive skill. It really takes some aptitude to see the reality that's there and create a seemingly better reality. I believe it comes down to knowing we have free choice. But there's a misunderstanding about that because... Um, or a blatant choice, should I? You know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not a misunderstanding. To not remember that every choice comes with a consequence and therefore responsibility and accountability need to be values that work alongside the free choice that we're given. I mean, we always say that in every show. So, you know, those intellectual disabilities, which of course are autism and Asperger's. So many awkward moments when they say what they think. It's so blunt and without filters. So what if I played you now my, the first part of my interview with Jean Gamble, who is a psychotherapist who works in Sydney. She works with families and with uh, children and parents and couples and, and really very much in relationships about the... And I, I really... I didn't know where the interview was going to go, but clearly I wanted to talk about where it started. Um, welcome, Jean. Thank you so much for doing the interview with us today. It's a pleasure. So we're talking about lying. Now, in the intro, I have talked about, um, you know, that we actually learn that, and it's and it's called a cognitive skill um, between the ages of two and four, and it signifies that a child has learnt the difference between what the parent thinks and what they think themselves, and they've kind of delineated boundaries of thoughts, emotions, and decisions. Um, and not being able to lie is seen as a, a, um, a bit of a problem and maybe you become socially outcast as a result. In your experience, you see a lot of people all of the time. And of course, you are a human being yourself, so you will have um, had this experience in your life, perhaps. What? Why do you think, in essence, 
we as children and let's start there why do you think we think it's a good thing to lie um you know if it's something about for example there's a puddle at our feet as you know there's a puddle at our children a child's feet and you go hey did you just wet yourself and they go no it was my legs you know rather than actually saying that they wet themselves or saying yes there's a fear of getting into trouble but what's behind yeah. that i think that kind of lie um what you said in the beginning about it being a cognitive skill and a form of differentiation as the child grows it realizes it's separate to the mother and the father and it has its own boundaries and its own personality and then being able to deny what the parents are saying and lie is a form of differentiation i i have my own world view and i'm allowed to espouse it and i think that is a developmental stage and i can understand why the research that you found was saying that uh, that that is a a cognitive stage of development that children need to go through in order to um to differentiate themselves as individual beings uh, in the example you've just given about why a child would lie about you know who ate the lot why why is the cookie jar empty i don't know um, i think that is is about um staying out of trouble and knowing when you do it that it's the wrong thing to do but knowing you're going to get away with it and i also feel it's a kind of form of differentiation i can be who i want to be despite the rules mm. and even i've read in psychology studies that that children use their urinating and their defecating as a means of power yes so maybe just letting go in the middle of the dining room uh, carpet is a way of saying um i'm cross with you and cop this and then if you were to say to them that you just wet yourself they say no as a cover up for how they were feeling because they can't express their anger it's too mm. scary mm. they can they can pee on your carpet as a means of letting you know that they are uh, taking a contrary standpoint and then lying about it to say or maybe just because they can i think it depends on the the um atmosphere the environment you know what the how much charge is there if the child is to wet itself does it cop a backhander or does mummy just say never mind darling we can clean that up um i think there's less need to lie if mummy is not going to be angry with you but there could still be a desire to lie simply to differentiate your own reality that's interesting you picked up on a couple of points there um that uh, that i was going to touch on one is the um uh, um a lot of the research that i've done into you know the research that other people have done has talked about uh, it's not so much about being caught it is who's going to catch you and the consequences of what's going to happen when you're caught and one of the biggest um fears is a withdrawal of love and 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 it starts in childhood and you've just picked up on it completely there the and i think it starts as you say in that little little child going yes no i didn't eat all the cookies in the cookie jar and it keeps going in teenage years where just the the lies get a bit more wily and but the there's a role modeling of that behavior in the parents isn't there to to actually where whether the child has sensed whether it's safe to lie or not even before any words have been spoken yeah not only is it safe to lie but is it necessary to lie mm. because of climate in family like if you have eaten all the cookies what's the consequence if the consequence is never mind mummy will make some more then it doesn't matter but if the consequence is you're going to go in your room now for 3 hours or you're not allowed to watch telly or you're not allowed to play on your iPhone then maybe you would lie you know i think what you said about the the withdrawal of love or punished is severe for children quite often more severe than we we realize and then there's also just like in the teenage years there's outright defiance of i will do what i want regardless of what you think is good for me or what the rules of the house are yeah. so if if you say to your child don't smoke in the house and they say 
okay and then you walk in and it's clear as bell they've been smoking in the in the living room and you say have you been smoking and they say no you know you told me i'm not allowed to smoke in the house of course i won't do it and then you find the cigarette ends in the ashtray um and then, and then they say no i brought that in from outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's a sort of, I will do what I want, um, regardless of what you want or think, because I'm who I am and I can have what I want. And that also is a phase of development in a child. It's a sort of assertion of who they are, a bit like the, the, the two, three-year-old lying. The teenagers do the same because they, they want to believe that they are autonomous, that they are powerful, that they can do as they please in the home. Do you think that's what they regard as being an adult, that ability to do as you please? Therefore, it's one of those learnt skills that they can use as a power and as a manipulation and as a sign that they're an adult. It could be. I think, you, you, I think that's very true, that it could be modelled and that they see it as that, that adults can do this and therefore I'm approaching adulthood, I must practise it as well. But I think that also depends on whether they've been around adults who lie. Because mm. I think, and I would suspect that most families have a few lies, and some families have many lies, and possibly the other end of the spectrum, families who don't lie at all. Mm. But even what is a lie? I'm a couples counsellor, and I often uh, have couples in who argue over um, who said what, like you promised to come and help me on Saturday morning, and he says, I did not. And then the whole hour could be spent saying, I did, you didn't, you did, I didn't, blah, blah, blah. And I always say to them, let's not spend time with who shot John, because you're paying for this time. And let's accept that there are two realities in the room. And I've said this before on your show, in the house alone, there are however many occupants are in, in the home. So you've got three children and mum and dad, that's five realities. And then there's the dog's reality and the cat's reality. Because the dog's reality is that every time you open the fridge, it's going to get something to eat. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't seem, doesn't seem to matter that that doesn't happen. The dog still is there sitting there looking at the fridge when you open it. <laughs> so clearly it has some reality that we, we're not sharing. And um, quite often uh, what I hear is is um, interpreted through my lens of my reality mm. and what you hear is what is yours and so when I say I'll do this and you interpret it as what I'm going to do and I meant I would be home on Saturday I didn't mean I would actually help you um, move the furniture around um, but you heard that that's great I'll be able to help you do that but in fact I'm I'm in a conference call on Saturday morning for three hours so although I'm home I won't be able to help you with that so the sort of how we imbue whatever is said with our own reality ends up then as us accusing the other of lying because what they actually said was not what we heard Wow, that's big. I mean, that's really yeah. big when you think about relationships and the misunderstandings that can go on for years. And the example you gave is, is fantastic because neither were lying. The, 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 um, the one who said that they would be home said that they would be home and they are home. They just didn't say what they would be doing because the, and the other person didn't actually say, can you help me with this on that day? Um, which just happens so often we get we have an agenda, we ask the question, it might not be a you know, bad agenda, we just have an agenda, we just ask the question thinking that the moment we get the answer, we just interpret it the way it fits our agenda, I guess. Absolutely, this happens all the time. It's sort of like the wife wants to go to the gym at six o'clock, and so she says to the husband, will you be home at, will you be home at six? And he says, yes, I'll be home at six. So he comes home at six, he goes straight into the office for a call to the US. And she says, you said you would be home at six. And he says, I am home. And she says, well, I want to go to the gym. And he says, well, I, I, I can't, love, I'm on a call. Um, because she didn't say, will you be home at six because I want to go to the gym and I need you to look after the children. Mm. You see, it's kind of like, it, it boils down to communication. And it's quite pedantic to say everything that's in your head. 
So you say a quarter or a half of what's in your head and hope the other guy insurance the rest. But this isn't what happens, you know. No, and then so we it accuse is them of lying. To avoid... That's right, yeah. You know, you said you'd be home at Kalayan. Well, it's not much use to me if you're on a call. I said, well, I didn't know you didn't need me to be on a call. You only asked if I would be home at six. So it's really, and that's where a lot of misunderstanding happens, where you can say, um, you lied. You said you'd be home at six, but, but it is his home at six or she is home at six. And I get this a lot in my room, of, of especially in terms of what was said. And I know from having attended um, a sort of uh, philosophical uh, speeches, teachings. Two of us can go and listen to a guy who's giving a talk or a woman who's giving a speech on philosophy. And when we come out, I said, oh, I thought it was fantastic when he spoke about this. And that person said, yeah, when he said that, I said, no, he didn't say that. He said this. And they'll say, no, Jean, you've got completely the wrong end of the stick. He said this. And even though we were both at the talk, we heard completely different things. Yeah. And this has happened to me quite frequently. And so I know I could accuse you of lying then to say, no, you're lying. He didn't say that. But it's what you heard. So what do we hear? Do we hear what we want to hear? Is it possible to have different realities and therefore, you know, hold on to what we think we've heard and what we think we've understood and uh, that become our reality so embedded in our body that we actually don't know that we're lying. So we are indeed uh, doing a show about lying on Stay in the Loop with Lucy this morning. Uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about the kinds of lies people tell, avoiding punishment, avoiding embarrassment, gaining advantage, gaining self-esteem. Those are the lies where we're helping ourselves. It's looking at what's being achieved and what's at stake. So on a material level, what's uh, being uh, achieved is you're gaining advantage and you're avoiding punishment. Um, on a social scale, you're gaining esteem and avoiding embarrassment. So there is a reason, I guess, for why we think we lie whether there is um ethics involved in that i would yeah i would say we probably need to look at it but the white lies are about helping others aren't they they're about you know someone else we, we tell ourselves that someone else is benefiting from it we're saving face um i would question i think to be honest with you that uh Really, we, we gain a lot just as much out of saving face for another person or saving our own face. <clears throat> it's not just about everybody else, excuse me. Um, being e economical with the truth so that we don't hurt another and we avoid telling lies ourselves. Interestingly, when you talk, think about supporting friends, Lies can be more direct, helping others avoid trouble, for example, giving them an alibi when we say they were with us rather than someone else in a compromising situation and in most extreme circumstances. We might even commit perjury, lying in court to save our friends. In some cultures, that is acceptable. And don't forget, you know, there are school cultures, there are, there's that dobbing culture, you know, you don't dob. And if you do dob, you are in serious trouble. Think about uh, the, the prison and that, you know, stand out, tell the truth. You, you're in a heap of trouble. It's not really encouraged. So in this next section with Jean Gamble, we carry on where we left off, really. In this next section, we're going to talk about those, those blunt moments. Um, how we can interpret the same picture in a different way, which may lead us to lying when we don't think we are, and um, how to get l honest about our own lying. There's some there's some pretty good uh, examples here. So, without further ado, you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. There was a um, a study that was published in the um, Journal of Basic and Applied Psychology, and it looked at uh, interviews, and 60% of the subjects lied at least once through the interview, but they all thought they had been telling the truth. They were completely convinced they had told the truth. So it's, it, it is actually, um, as you say, what we, how we process situations. And they say when uh, the police ask witnesses to 
um, an accident or a crime, they will have different versions of events and different descriptions of a person. And each person is completely convinced that their picture is spot on. So the mm, brain is doing absolutely. something here, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really, it's actually very complicated. Yeah, I think that the brain interprets according to its past experiences, what's been laid down. Mm. So we interpret according to our lens, the lens of our experience of life. And it's different for all of us. I mean, I, I have a sister and we grew up in the same house together all our lives. And yet we did, we live in different, we, we have different realities about how we were, how we were brought up. It, if you talk to her, it doesn't sound the same as the family I was brought up in. Mm. So it, it depends on her experiences and, and, um, but I do think also people do lie. <laughs> um, I, I can be put my hand up here and say that I know from my own experience that I have lied as a child and as an adult. Yeah. And um, if, if we say, what is a lie? If I'm, if I'm lying and I believe my own lie, that's a perception thing, a delusion thing. Um, say I've been really, really dieting and I wanted to lose five kilos and I know I haven't, I've only lost three. But I say, yes, I've lost five kilos because that's what I really want to believe. Mm. I know it's not true, mm -hmm. but I want it to be the truth, so I kind of make it my truth. Yes. It's not unconscious. I know it's not true, but I still, I, I so much want it to be true that I've, I've said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you say it enough, you actually believe it, which is what they use yeah, in I, health I, a lot of the time, isn't it? They say that with, say, for an example, a, a chronic condition like cancer, if you can tell yourself you're well, your body will start to heal and it will get itself well. So there's that whole question of whether you tell a dying person they're dying, which just has a whole load of ethical questions around it completely. But, you know, they, they are using... Uh, the power of positive thinking, um, which could very easily be a lie in exactly the circumstances you're talking about there to actually make something happen that might not happen if you had a negative or, or a more realistic outlook on your health. And I think that's like setting a goal of I will get well. But actually saying I am is a lie because I'm yes. not, I'm riddled with cancer. Yes. So, but I think that, that that's the kind of almost positive lie Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a negative lie to say, um, I, d I did clean the house when I didn't. But yeah. I know I, that, that uh, my flatmates will be unimpressed if I <laughs> say I didn't clean the house. I watched 10 series of um, Home and Away. Yeah. I couldn't get off the couch. Yeah. Um, but when they come in, you say, no, I vacuumed. I did it. I, d I vacuumed and dusted. And they say, well, it doesn't look very clean. And you say, well, I did it. And that's a kind of deliberate lie where you know you didn't do it, but you're protecting yourself by saying you did. You can do that as an adult as well. Typically. And that's to, say, that's to um, avoid being, being in trouble or the withdrawal of love. Yeah. So your housemates are unimpressed with you. So you, you lie in order to gain their approval or keep their approval. And that brings us firmly back to um, the, the parental home and coming back to those childhood relationships. Um, when you have, I'm, I'm very aware of, uh, of a, a lie that parents tell quite often um, with the best intentions in the world, but it starts the child recognize starting to doubt their own sense of what they know is truth and what they don't, because those flatmates would have sensed, they would have seen it, but they would have felt the difference. You can tell, you can feel in a room when it's been cleaned because it's like everything's been cleansed um not just physically but you just feel it it feels like the air has been turned around and, and uh cleared mm. so as a child we start to doubt that well knowing the difference between a truth and a lie for example when you see that your parents have been arguing or you can sense there's a problem between them and they both say no 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 it's fine and they, they, you know, it's one of those very early ones where they think they're, the parents are protecting you from the argument. It might be the breakdown of a marriage. It might be just a simple argument or disagreement. But the, the fact that they're not being honest in that moment 
starts an element of doubt to the internal radar of the child. Do you see that very often? Yes, I find that's very true, that if children um, are lied to, they begin to doubt their own perceiving instrument of what is real, what is true. So I know mummy and daddy are cross with each other, but when I asked, mummy said, no, no, we love each other, my darling, we're fine. Then I, instead of thinking you're lying, because I can't really, it's not safe to brand my parents as liars. So instead I think, oh, I must have been wrong. And that sows the seed of doubt for my perception. Or is mummy sad? Are you sad, mummy? No, madam, no, I'm, I'm very, I'm fine, baby, I'm very happy. And then it's funny because mummy felt really sad to me. Mm. I don't think she's lying. I just think, oh, I, I got it wrong. And the more times that happens, the more I doubt my own perception. Mm. And then it's, it, uh, it means I have no confidence in what I'm perceiving in the world. I can't believe it because it's been denied. So it's very important to tell the truth to children. Um, and not you don't have to tell them everything. But if they ask, you need to answer honestly and always let them know they're not to blame because children will, in order, will always blame themselves for whatever's going on because they're eye-centered. Yes. Getting back to lying, Lucy, I, I was thinking about my own history when I was, um, when I was a young mum. I, I managed life very well before my children were born. And I managed them when they were babies, but when they were toddlers, something from my own um, unconscious past was triggered about me being a young baby or a toddler. And I became overwhelmed with emotions. And I had a, a few years there with a bit of a failure to cope as a mother, as a wife, as a human being. And I think I was by my own childhood memories that were surfacing, being triggered by my, my children's ages and stages of life. And um, I wasn't doing a very good job of managing home. I worked part-time from home and I put my priority into my work. And then I would pick the children up from school and take them to the park and it would be lovely there. So I would stay and stay and stay until sunset. And then because I wanted to be Martha Stewart, I wouldn't phone my husband and say, I'm late, pick up a chicken and veggies from the chicken shop. And I knew he would get home hungry from work. Um, and I was working part-time, so I was on dinner duty. Um, and I would get home and he would come in and be starving and he'd say, oh, what's for dinner? And I'd say, oh, I haven't done dinner because I had to take my daughter to the doctor after school. Now, this is a complete lie. That I'm doing right and he'd say oh why what was wrong and I'd say oh her chest was very phlegmy and uh, I was concerned that she wouldn't be able to sleep tonight so I took her for a checkup and there was a big queue there and it took ages but it was fine and my daughter would look at me sort of aged six or seven and think what the hell I don't recall <laughs> going to the doctor but she knew what to say yeah and so then my husband would say oh well let's cook something or whatever, because he had already asked me that if I were home and doing dinner, could I have it ready when he came in because he was starving, which I had ample time to do because I had finished my work and I just had the kids and they were grown up and could, you know, I mean, not grown up, but they were not babies anymore. Like when they were babies, we were both hands on, but when they were school age and I was finishing work early, um, I, could, I had the time to do it. And there was not him being demanding. It was simply part of my my role and I had all the time in the world to do it I just didn't feel like doing it so I would come home and lie about it but it was when I look back on it now that I'm much more coping and healthier and not in overwhelm I look at it as a way of coping with the overwhelm mm. and also maybe it was a, a a resentment against him that he could be at work and didn't have to do this not that work was fun and it was a way of getting at him unconsciously. I'm not sure about that, but I have seen that happen in the work that I do with couples when we do more analytical work. And uh, there is a power play and resentment going on there, which causes the bad behavior and the lie to cover it up. 
Well, sort of no different to what so you, you were describing as a child. Just, it stands to me the same a similarity. No, it's your it's your power play. Yes, you can't express it. We have it. Yes. So I will do something that I know is not acceptable, and then I will lie about it to protect myself mm. in claiming myself. And it's partly a power play, and it's it's a it's the resentment that I'm not. I'm not as powerful as you. That's what the child feels, and sometimes that's what the wife can feel when she's home with the children and the husband's coming in from the workplace, or the husband if he's coming home, or if it's a gay couple, whichever one is on child duty, can sometimes feel disempowered when the other one is the corporate um, flyer, as it were. And sometimes these behaviors and subsequent lies come from the power imbalance. And if that can be addressed and brought out into the open and discussed and made meaning of, then sometimes that resentment and the need to act out and the need to lie about it goes away. So how about that? More food for thought, right? We might be covering up something in ourselves that we're uncomfortable with. We might be trying to protect ourselves from hurt. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. That was Words, obviously, by Tim Sheeman. Um, and the words that got me in that, what if our words were more than spoken? It really does open the door, doesn't it, to realise the consequences of the words. If the words kind of sit in the air, how they're received, what imprint they leave in another person... We've, I've spoken before on this show how there are certain expressions that people can use that can derail a person's whole life. One of them is, who do you think you are? It can stop someone being prepared to stand up and stand out, to go for what they truly believe is important in life. For um, children, you're fat, you won't amount to anything. All of those expressions are so wrong. We really need to be honest about the words that we're using and how damaging they can be. And actually, I would say they were all complete lies. They were cutting the person down because they didn't like where the person was going or they don't like the person's behavior. But it's talking to the behavior. It's not talking to, the, to, the, to who the person is. So could that be? equally as much of a lie as telling us that the world was round and not flat. All worth considering, isn't it? Because when you start unravelling, where do you start and where do you stop? Always knowing that, you know, we've, we live in a very real world and we need to, to keep it very tangible and understandable. Hopefully, that is what we're going to do in our next bit. Before the break, we were talking about lying um, as teenagers, as children, and then, of course, different people's realities. In this next section, we're going to talk about lying and how it transfers across our lives and influences other decision-making, how flexible with the truth we can be when we have a product to sell. And I'm going to do shows on all of these um, so we can go into them in more dip depth, but, you know, just high-level corruption in corporates, corporate bodies funding science to prove that something we consume is good for us to protect their profits. You know, we have to talk about alcohol, smoking and sugar as three very simple examples that we've gone to different levels of understanding about each of those. But smoking, no question. We know that. No question. And yet we had adverts with doctors telling us that it was cool to smoke. Go figure. Um, abuse, sexual, verbal, physical abuse, all starting to unravel and the lies that cover up the um, indulgence of, of appalling behaviours. Government secrets. Let's go to Jean. Let's Take, pick back up where our, our interview was taking us. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Do you find that people are able to compartmentalize their lies um, and L-I-E-S rather than L-I-V-E-S um, in the sense that do you find that people who lie on a small scale, and I, I guess a lie is a lie, black and white, but... Um, also would lie, would would 
lie in their corporate life or, you know, I mean, we have governments who lie, we have religions who lie, we have um, we have uh, scientists that lie. I mean, everybody seems to have an agenda um, that potentially is justifiable in their heads. But are they the, are, and this is such a sweeping generalization, I'm kind of hesitant to put it out there and, and ask you about it, but is there a pattern that when you have seen a pattern of behavior work for you, that it becomes easier to do and therefore you become less, um, there's less of a conscience about the fact that you're lying. It's kind of, there's a means to an end. Yes, I think that would be true. Like any experience colors our reality. And so if we've been able to lie and get away with it, then it becomes a tool that we can use. Whereas if we've, if we've lied and been called out and had consequences, we're less likely to resort to that as a as a modus operandi, as a way of being. I think that's absolutely true. And I, I know from having worked in, in corporations where they were looking to hire somebody and in the management discussion afterwards, looking at the candidates, it's been said, no, we don't want him. He's too honest. He, he won't tow the party line. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 they, they wanted somebody in the position that would sort of um, lie. Is it a lie? Yes, it is a lie. But kind of fit in with the cultural stance and not call out what isn't absolutely true about the product or about the service or about the um oh, that's so that's, that the company's off it's heartbreaking you know to um i think the more i value truth the harder i find i find it to hear things like that knowing full well that it that it is true that someone who can tow the party line as in politics or the corporate line or the marketing line is is actually going to fit in better to a corporate culture, which is quite, you know, it's quite true. Um, but that just makes me yeah. sad for, for for actually truth and honesty, integrity, um, and that sort of, you know, whole humanity approach that we look after each other as opposed to try and get one over on each other. Yeah, and I, and I think it, it is true in, in government and corporation of... Um, what, you know, what are we? What are we about? And we're about selling our product or our service, and that becomes our agenda. You know, well, I mean, look at the term whistleblower. Yes. Is that someone who's exposing a lie? Isn't it? Yeah. We wouldn't have the term whistleblower if there were no lies to expose. No, and very often they're the ones who are castigated. I mean, it, you know. They can lie as well. You know, you can have people. I think it is it um, Munchausen syndrome, and then you've got Munchausen syndrome by proxy. So that that's a that's a medical um, bit where you're you're lying. But I mean, in corporate, that as a whistleblower, very often those are people who just actually see something who is that is fundamentally wrong, and and they actually can't toe the line anymore. They might have been complicit to a point, but they, they can't anymore. Yeah, I think that's true. And there is that um, you, you, don't, you want to be sure you don't hire a potential whistleblower. Mm. Yeah. It <laughs> oh, would disrupt, disrupt the eggs in your basket. <laughs> um, I, I, read, I was reading a couple of blogs online and, and there was one where, where someone had had commented and said, you know, as someone who finds it, who who can't lie, I'm, you know, single and on my own. And I just, I'll read you a quote of what he said, because it was so beautiful. Though I remain hopeful that one day my willpower will enable me to be like the majority, maybe then I will no longer be single, a loner, anxiety ridden with depression from being a social outcast due to not being able to pretend the truth um, neath some of the smiles of deception. Maybe one day I will find that person that actually values truth speakers and will grow to rely on me rather than detest me at every turn. Perhaps that thought alone makes me delusional. Quite interesting, hey? <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, quite, um, quite 
quite a sad view of life that yeah that there's no no other truth sayers. Yeah, and yet because I do believe I, we are I getting say, more truth sayers, wouldn't you, Jean? I do think that, yeah, and I think it's um, it's becoming um, safer to speak out, and I think also with the technological um, advance of the internet, there's more um, more information is available to us to research and find out what is true, mm. and so then we can call it out. Yeah. Whereas before, like just about everybody now, if they have something wrong with them and they get a diagnosis, they Google it. Yes. And so they are now much more aware of what is on, even in their body or anywhere in the world. And so then when it doesn't accord, and you can get even five different versions of what it is on Google, yes. which one is true. Again, it depends which lens it's been written through. Yes. So I think, I think there's more truth sayers because there's more information available for us to, to become educated, to find out. Absolutely. About. And there we go. There is more information out there. So we actually can see beyond some of the illusions that uh, that are put out there for us to be sucked into. Um, when Jean was talking now, I remember those books um, by Dan Brown. There was a whole stream of them. I, I, I wish I could remember the names of them, but um, there was one on the legal corruption and you just they they were they are all about endemic corruption in uh, in corporations and in big like pillars of our society but um, i i i said in that in in that part of the interview that it depressed me and it does make me sad to consider that that is what's normal that if you are someone who tells the truth that if you're a child who values truth that you know that you're less likely to get a job than someone who's prepared to toe the line. And don't we learn that in school, that you're more likely to be to fit into your group if you if you kind of, you know, don't speak up too often or don't tell the truth, um, that, you know, you, you shouldn't really rock the boat too much. I don't know. I think we've got, we've got a bit of a key here to answering why young people are struggling so much and the, why the rates of depression are going up. I think we have a clue because if what they see of life is not something that they subscribe to, and if I feel it as an older person, I don't think that I, I, I can feel that that sadness really deep in my bones, which means I felt it for a very long time. So what if there is something in that for young people growing up today? You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We're coming to the last section of the interview with uh, with Jean Gamble so far. Let's do a quick recap. So far we've talked about how lying starts in children and then grows as we grow. Um, manipulating situations, uh, taking what, you know, maybe what we, uh, in, in order to protect ourselves, in the last section, we're going to talk about how the, the marker of, of truth is actually our body and how our body has the potential to uh, bring us back to truth and b help build a livingness in the way of living truth in our lives. I've touched on it earlier in the show and Jean's touched on it earlier in the show in the sense that when, uh, uh, when you're a child you know truth very well and we start to doubt our internal radar of when someone's telling us the truth or not when we lie to someone to protect them so for example when we say as a parent um, that everything's fine when everything actually isn't fine at all when they can sense that you know my kids used to tell me you know why are you angry and I used to go I'm not angry or why are you upset I'm not upset but in fact, I was and I just didn't I just didn't want to talk about it with them. I didn't think it was appropriate to talk about it with them. I wanted to protect them in some way. And yet the harm I think I did was I stopped them trusting what they felt in their body. And the danger of that is that someone might come into their lives who's trying to manipulate them, either physically, emotionally, sexually, and they will 
once again, if that person is in a position of power or authority, they will doubt their internal radar that is their early warning signal. That's why I want to do these series of shows online and that's why I offer this next section and the upcoming shows to you all. Enjoy. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. The one place that always tells the truth, which is the body. The body is the marker of all truth, as we know. So as I was reading uh, an article about uh, people with brain damage and uh, they had to learn to read body language because they couldn't interpret the words in the same way. And they just kept um, finding the, they just kept kept reading a situation absolutely spot on because the body was telling them the truth, whereas the lies that were being spun and people were being hooked into and, you know, just, they just didn't, it didn't phase them. So I found that quite fascinating and a confirmation to me that the body, as much as whatever you say, the body somehow um, can't but express the truth. I think that's true, that the body holds the truth. And if you can access your body um, honestly, then it will reveal what's true. But I also believe that the mind mm, is quite powerful and it can manipulate the body. So if I think again of my couple work and how um, a, a woman who wants to have a baby uh, can can respond very um, romantically and be very sexual with her partner. And as soon as she's pregnant, that goes away. And once the baby's born, that goes away. So the body is the marker of truth in terms of what is wanted by the mind mm. or the body-mind. What I'm trying to say here is that the, 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 the mind can dupe the body to really behave in a way that is in accordance with, with the mind's agenda. And then the body will actually uh, be manipulated into the behavior that is wanted. But if you don't do that, and you're just purely accessing the body without any agenda, the truth will lie there. But sometimes our protection and our hurts overlay our access to our bodies. And so even though we think we're accessing the body, we're really accessing our agenda that's kind of blocking us from true connection to the truth of our bodies. Does that make sense to you, Lucy? It does. I'm, I'm wondering how we can build that relationship, though, because if, if, if lies are what we have as normal, but I, don't, I can't imagine there are many people out there who actually would say, yes, okay, well, that's what I would like for my life, um, because it destabilizes us. It, it creates anxiety and um, low self-esteem and low self-worth and low trust. Um, you know, if, if that's the case and if the body and, and what we sense in our body can sense when someone's telling the truth or not, how do we build that relationship with our body so that we value the body's communication over the mind's manipulation of that body? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, the, the, the most useful way you know it's not a conscious choice to say i will lie here it's always coming out of a protection or a defense against some sort of wounding or experiences that we've we've had as a in our childhood or even recent experiences what we don't want to feel so we will lie to ourselves and to others to avoid feeling those feelings that are holding us at bay and they are something that we have experienced and we are terrified of re-experiencing. So we, that we, we will unconsciously have behaviors, thoughts, words that protect us from re-feeling those feelings. I'm trying to think of an example, really. Um, well, maybe uh, a childhood trauma or a trauma say, in your early life that you, that maybe it's a hurt yes. and a letdown that you would, every time anything remotely similar to that situation comes up, you would you would actually do everything in your power to avoid it? Absolutely, yeah. And in a way, you could say that me, an adult who was saying that I had taken my daughter to the doctor, that was me protecting myself against 
the withdrawal of love from my husband. Mm. Um, that would, in my imagination, he would have then said, oh, well, then I don't want to be married to you anymore because you didn't get any dinner ready. That's how I'm kind of doing catastrophic thinking. Yeah. But that would come from my childhood, where if I didn't fulfill my obligation, there was a withdrawal of love and the consequences felt unbearable for me. So we, we actually transfer the emotions from our early childhood onto the current situation. And then we lie in order to protect ourselves from the imagined consequence of the past being transferred to current situation. Wow. And so that's where a lot of people would lie in order to protect themselves. But when you were talking about connecting with your body, then um, the only way really to get through that barrier, I see it as a kind of three-tiered cake the human, the true humans on the bottom tier, the true truth of who we are. The next tier is all the hurts we've experienced. And the third layer is the protection we lace ourselves with in order not to feel those hurts. So we have to get through the protection, then process the hurt and heal from that hurt so that it's not holding us at bay. And then we can drill down and access the truth of the body, who we really are, that doesn't need hurt, that isn't a afraid of it doesn't need protection and that process involves a lot of reconnecting to your innermost essence the stillness of who you truly are and getting sort of a, like a meditation practice or an esoteric yoga practice where you could uh, allow yourself to be free of those layers for a short while and let yourself feel the truth of who you are mm. and in that once that becomes available to you you can develop um, a relationship with that part of yourself and you need to lie will go. That's actually what's happened to myself. I, I would say I never lie nowadays. I don't even interpret reality according to my need because I've, I've done many, many years of healing and I'm comfortable with not being protected with the hurts that I experienced in the past. And so I seldom find the need to lie I just allow my body to deal with whatever's there in truth. Mm. But it's not, um, it takes quite a lot of commitment to reach that level of um, connection to self that gives you the confidence to deal with whatever it really is without any um, manipulation or lying. Beautiful. You know, it's sort of, um, it reminds me a bit of Shakespeare. I can't remember which play, but they're looking at the clouds and he says, do you see that cloud and what, what does it look like to you? And whoever it is, Malvolio says, oh yes, it, it looks like an, an elephant. And then the, the other chap says, oh no, I think it looks like a, a balloon. And then he says, oh yes, yes, it's definitely a balloon. And it's this sort of denial of one's own reality in order to accord with the others. It's a kind of giving up of one's own power yeah. in order to align align with the other power. And in that, there's a, um, a, a disavowal of your own truth. And I think this happens with teenagers where I don't want to um, go behind the sheds and smoke dope, but everybody else does. So I will disavow my truth and go with the crowd in to, to fit in in order to align with the majority rule or whatever mm. and so you could say it's a form of lying to yourself or dis disregarding your own body's message that's an example where the mind manipulates the truth of the body yeah. because fitting in is more important than what's really true for me and that brings us I, don't, I just wanted to say before we close just before we close um, one of the biggest lies I've ever thought of was the flat earth lie you know, that, that the world is flat. Mm. And then when with the discovery of Copernicus's telescope, or I don't know, was it when the ship sailed to the horizon and didn't fall off the edge, mm. they found out that the Earth was round. And um, there's also this Professor Hancock, uh, Professor Graham Hancock, who's now the world expert on pyramids. And um, he, is, he is stating categorically that the pyramids could not have been built by slaves. There had to have been some form of technology that would made it available for them to lift those heavy stones. Um, and, you know, we're perpetuating kind of cultural lies 
currently with philosophy, with history, with religion. And it makes me think of a university where one part of the university is busy proving something that the other section, like history, whereas the science department is disproving what the history department is proving. <laughs> so the lies are kind of all around us in a cultural context, in corporations, in, in religion, in science, in education. Um, it's a big subject you've raised here, Lucy. Yeah, I can see that it's going to be many more than one um, one episode. And I think we have to, you know, it's going to be about peeling back the whys and the wherefores and kind of really uh, doing the emperor's new clothes and just talking honestly about what we have been doing, what we have taken as normal and just very much saying that it doesn't need to be our normal. This is what we have chosen to align to just as we chose to align to the world being flat um, or the, the theory that the um, pyramids were built by slaves because it suits what we can understand and what we can cope with. But, um, you know, it, our, our world is not going to fall apart if we come, if we accept the possibility that the world was round, which obviously it didn't. And, if, and the same goes with this new um, revelation of the pyramids not being built by slaves. It, our world is not going to fall apart if we accept that there might have been some energetic or some uh, kinetic uh, um, explanation. And I would love to link to that that article, if at all possible, Jean, so that the listeners can actually read it for themselves. And I would love to read it, you know, so that there's some understanding around it. Because the more we can talk about what is, then the more we can recognise what is not. That's very true. And I think there's a there's a part of it is we don't we don't want to know because we don't understand we don't want to open our minds to that. Mm. And I also think that there are there are forces there are there are powers that don't want us to open our minds. They're yeah. happy with us all just aligning with the cultural trance and going about our business without getting querying too much. Which, of course, in the in the case of the world being flat, was exactly the case because, um, you know, or 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 the world uh, circling around the sun, you know, that but sorry, everything circling around the earth as opposed to the other way around. It suited the agenda of the time because the power structure remained firmly centered where it needed to be. Whereas, um, you know, as you say, we, those powers will lose some of that control of the people if we actually start to, you know, see that we're being played or that there is uh, a game to to hold some of the wisdom that is there for us to connect to away from us. Absolutely. I, I do believe that. And, you know, that we go on a Friday night and play the pokies and drink our beer at the pub or the club is kind of keeps us numb. And then we don't uh, spend our leisure time inquiring and wondering. We just nurse our hangover. Mm. And then we go to work on Monday. And so, yeah, it's kind of people are easy to manage if they're not inquiring and seeking knowledge and truth. Well, thank you so much, Jean. Um, I really appreciate. I think we've gone to different places than I expected to go this morning, but it's a really great um synopsis of why how and and actually some ways out of it which i find is really important that we each have a choice in what we're doing and what we're saying and it's what we're aligning to that discerns what the outcome of that choice will be really you know do we want to align to a more truthful way of living or or do we actually want to to stay with the status quo and not rock the boat just in case um it's what people you know it's easier to fit in than not fit in. And I would like us to fit into the camp that tells the truth and not fit into the camp that doesn't tell the truth, that, that, the, that the balance of power, as I perhaps might put it today, is it shifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, we'll see a very different uh, mental health outlook if we, can, uh, if we can champion that way of living. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jean. I look forward to catching up with you again. I have no doubt we'll have you on the show more in the coming uh, months, but thank you for today. Thank you, Lucy. Lovely to be here again. Always good to have Jean Gamble on the show. Um, so how about that? How about the idea that um, 
you know, there's so much more for us to be aware of and maybe opening up to what we have taken as normal as perhaps not being normal and thinking about our protection and our hurts as much smaller than the truth we know. One of the images that really struck me was the three-tiered cake. The base of it is who you are. The middle layer is the hurts that we experience and the top layers is the protection we take on. Each of those hurts and protections are both smaller than the truth of who we are. I, I have been saying that for quite a long time in, in my workshops with um, dealing with anger. But when you think of it like that, a tiered cake, what's piled on top of us, it actually makes it really something that we can do something about. So what we're going to cover in shows to come, wow, um, we're going to... We're really going to look at uh, some of the research that's out there. We've got research that tells us that telling fewer lies is linked to better relationships. Or when you see the foundation of the show that we've just put down, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. How the consequences um, to lying promote the development of conscience, that we'll, we'll go into that. How alco alcohol encourages to be how alcohol encourages us to be a little less deceitful and a little more truthful. That one, I think, will be quite entertaining. We can't walk away from the truth if it makes us unpopular because this is our truth. However, we, can, we must also be aware that, as Jean said, we have different realities. What is our reality? And is our body matching our reality? Do we have anxiety or nervous tension running through our systems to a point that we need caffeine, sugar, or other stimulants just to get out of bed and function or to be happy? Do we need something else to calm us down, settle our minds? Do we need our glass of wine to slow down, as I certainly did when I was younger? How willing are we to date ourselves and be ourselves so that we can get to know what is our truth and what isn't our truth? We might have to unpeel quite a few layers of behaviours. Getting support from friends and professionals is not a failure. It is an important part of the success of this. Um, I hope you will come back with me as I unravel or come along with me as I unravel this propensity to lie and this indulgent in half truths that do not rock the boat. I have a feeling that if we're brave enough, there is the possibility that it will change the trajectory for mental health and in particular for the young generation who need to be inspired to remember that they can be the change that they want to see in their own lives and in the world. So let's come back to choosing to be the change we want to see. Remember that regardless of what has or is happening in your life, you are and always will be you. You are amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so that you can recognize when your body's trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate service, be that mental or physical health. And don't forget, we've got a huge amount of support in our local community. We just have to ask for it. We just have to go out there and truly be open to asking for help and receiving help. The podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud. And if you want to get updates, then please remember to like the either um, Facebook page for at Stay in the Loop with Lucy or to like the, my Facebook page or the actual website itself. And uh, links to all of those spaces are available from the Triple H homepage. I do hope you will make an appointment to listen to me next Sunday um, or listen to the recording of the Stay in the Loop with Lucy show on the website. Remember, the world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. Thanks, Albert Einstein. Next week's show, take a moment to look after you, connect to the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. <laughs>